Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. My name's Yvette and this week I'm going to be chatting to Daniel Regan. He's a photographer who also runs the Free Space Project. The charity runs arts workshops for patients at NHS sites and also in the community. We'll be chatting about if and how art can help people with mental health issues. So it's an arts and health charity um, based within Kentish Town Health Centre in Camden. So that's a, a really pioneering health centre that looks at um, not just clinical care for patients, but kind of holistic and complementary care. So as a charity, we run lots of arts and community initiatives for patients and people in, uh, living in Camden. Mm. Um, anything from... Uh, art exhibitions and arts workshops to um, chronic pain groups um, and things that are more social um, instead of clinical. Mm. Yeah, I had a look at your website. It's fantastic. You've got a huge range of things I never would have imagined because I think when I first sort of heard about it, I thought, oh, sort of art for people that maybe have suffered mental health issues, is that going to be all, sort of, I don't know, knitting or like some particular kind of yeah. drawing but you've got loads of stuff on there haven't you i think i like to make sure that what we're programming is quite diverse um so we have some groups that are very specifically clinical and related to a particular health issue um so like a dance group for people with parkinson's but then lots of the arts workshops that we run they're not kind of skills based um they're sort of learning a technique but also thinking uh about life in general so they might be themed around loss um so the conversations that we're having during the workshop um 
leave people with a thought. So they're kind of these sort of existential arts workshops where we want people to go away and think about their lives in, a, in, so, in sort of a broader spectrum. Mm. Do you take part in them yourself? Um, I don't always have time to take part in them. Um, but outside of um, Free Space Project, I run quite a lot of workshops in all different settings. Mm. So I'm kind of exposed to lots of different types of workshops. Mm. Um, and that, I think that's why I really like programming things that are quite different. Um, I try to steer away from really cliche sort of, uh, sorry if anyone does mosaics, but um, mosaics or kind of yeah knitting unless it's for that particular demographic mm. um you know you're not going to get a group of young men necessarily into knitting mm. um so it's about meeting the need of what that that demographic actually wants yeah one that actually sort of stood out for me because i love sort of singing and stuff was there was songwriting workshop mm-hmm. um, and i thought yeah that's brilliant because i wouldn't necessarily think of that for an arts thing i would mm-hmm. immediately think drawing for arts but there's yeah mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things um also it's really great because Am I right in thinking that some of them are free or subsidised? So Pretty they're... much all of them are free. Mm. So kind of my job is to, to go away and get that money to make them free. Um, there are sometimes workshops where we charge a very small fee and that's just because the materials cost might be quite high. Mm. Um, but in general, everything that we, that we put on is free because um, we want them to be accessible. That's incredible, first of all, that you're running sort of free workshops like this. I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose my question there is then, so obviously a lot of effort is going into creating these and running them. Uh, why are they so vital, do you think, for people? I think there's probably two reasons. One is that there is a clear sort of lack of clinical care that people are waiting for huge amounts of times, uh, particularly for mental health help. Um, and I would say that the majority of people that come along to workshops and projects that we're running um, are people that are having mental health difficulties on quite a, a broad spectrum. And then secondly, I think there's just a huge thirst for looking at health from not just a clinical perspective, but that people want to be able to do something that they find soothing, um, where they can learn and where they can be around other people. And we find that a lot of the time, um, just being around other people and doing something as a group, as a collective and having conversations and doing an activity um, is what brings people a lot of joy. Mm. Um, and really helps with sort of loneliness and social isolation. It must just be a great way to make friends as well, mm-hmm. I just saw, in the community. Yeah, so we've got lots of people that come along to lots of the workshops and then they've kind of made their own friendship groups. So it's really nice when you see them come back to an event um, together and that they've sort of met up with a like-minded person and um, perhaps are a bit less lonely now. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that's also done uh, specifically uh, for the NHS? Because you do reach out to patients in particular so do how does that work the setup that we've got as a charity is that we're based within the gp practice that's the health center so it's the james wig gp practice which is a really huge practice there's about twenty-eight thousand patients and the practice itself has been there for decades um, but about 10 years ago they got quite a lot of money to rebuild the health center um, and that's when the charity sort of came on board as well so my my desk um, is with the gps i'm right in the office Um, So we can take direct referrals from the clinicians um, for any of the projects that we're running. And we're always looking at kind of getting the clinical input um, based on what the needs are of the patients so that we can program um, events and projects that that meet those needs. So I guess we're 
we're definitely part of kind of the social prescribing movement, which is where in sort of in primary care situations like a GP can refer to a, to a voluntary organisation to do something that's more complementary. But it's very unusual that you'd have a charity actually based within the office of, say, a GP practice. So that's where we're really different from a lot of sort of, uh, I guess, other social prescribing models. Yeah, it sounds incredible. I mean, I go to my GP and he can recommend things like perhaps... Uh, maybe a local yoga group if I'm lucky but I can't imagine something like this where he would be able to recommend a songwriting course or you know an an Mm -hmm. art group to help like that yeah Yeah, it's a it's a very unusual setup um so I do feel quite lucky to to be involved in something like that and also I, I the building itself is beautiful you know for an NHS building so if I think about my GP practice in Peckham it's it's just terrible it's so miserable um, but going into work at Kentertown Health Centre I don't really think about the fact that people are going there because they're sick and I think that quite a lot of people that I interact with you know sometimes they're coming along to a project because they're unwell but at other times they're coming along to a project because they're well and it's something positive for them to do for their well-being so it's not always an intervention it's a prevention method what about from your own background am i right in thinking you're a photographer yeah. is that right yeah yeah how does that sort of work with your own mental health i'll go the shorter route okay i started having mental health problems when i was a teenager and i sort of didn't really have the language to talk about it and I started photographing often sort of like really mundane things but just to sort of represent my feelings so I've always had photography as a method to kind of explore my own difficulties that's why I'm really passionate about about the free space project because I can see from my own personal background the importance of the arts um, and that of course I've had treatment and therapy for various difficulties without that kind of pairing of photography and the arts um I'm not sure that therapy would have just been enough. Mm. I really rely on making and being an artist to kind of stay alive. Do you mind going into a bit more detail about sort of the issues that you had? It's fine if mm-hmm. you don't want to, but no, this is a mental health podcast. We do kind of, yeah, <laughs> no, we fine. talk about all kinds of stuff, but whatever you're happy sort of saying. Yeah, so I guess I realise quite young that like my home life was very different to the, you know, my sort of peers at school and then around sort of the age of 12 started to kind of unravel so there was quite a lot of disruption in my home life my dad was living away in a different country and there was quite it was a very volatile relationship between my parents Um, and then around age 14 I started self-harming and I think from 14 is when it sort of really really got quite serious and I was a very unwell teenager and I managed to go to university actually to do photography um, which wasn't what I had planned before I'd always been really interested in writing um, but I think because I found that therapeutic outlet I became quite obsessive about photography and completely changed all my plans and went to university and which in some ways was really positive because I lived in a really racist homophobic part of Essex Um, and as a mixed race gay man like that was not a welcoming environment so I went to Brighton um, which was completely life-changing but um, I hadn't had any treatment so I was sort of just living this very chaotic lifestyle yeah it was very it was very fraught and I like really struggled to keep up with university um, and I ended up having a breakdown between the first year and second year over the summer and was in a psychiatric hospital. I, I kind of kept everything to myself. I didn't really talk to anyone about it. There were a few friends who knew that I was having difficulties, but at university I didn't really tell anybody. In fact, you know, when I went back into the second year and I'd 
been in hospital. You know, people asked me how I was and I just uh, pretended I was fine. And I just said, oh yeah, I had a great summer. Like, totally neglected to say, like, you know, I tried to kill myself. I've been in hospital. I just... I think I didn't really put much value on it. I just thought, oh, well, get over it, like, to myself, like, move on, you know. I think for me it was very difficult for me to understand the weight of my childhood. I thought everybody's childhood was like that, so I was very critical of even ending up in hospital. Do you mind me asking, because you said about going into a mental health unit, I also spent mm-hmm. time in one when I was a teenager. What did you think of, first of all, were there any sort of art-like projects when you were there? Because there were in mine. I've just wondered if you had them at yours and if you had them, what you thought of them. My memory is really blurry around that time. I think the only thing I can remember is something to do with like relaxation and deep breathing. Um, I don't remember there being any arts-based of things to do no it's it's and obviously it's a hard time difficult time yeah. to, sort of, to think about and go back to i appreciate I, that i do remember being very frustrated that at that time so i would have been 18 or 19 i was quite obsessive about photographing everything i had a real issue around forgetting things and i think that's you know related to, to my mental health problems that i had quite a lot of blackout periods where i didn't really remember things clearly um and i really wanted to have my camera in the hospital um and they were really adamant about not having my camera um, and I can understand you know not taking photographs of other people but I wasn't really interested in that I really needed to document the experience for for me to say like I was there um, and I found that really distressing that I didn't have any way of documenting my experience other than um, I had a journal at that point in my life I'd really moved away from writing I found it actually quite stifling and I'm very although I'm very open I'm also really private at the same time so writing something meant that other people might find it and read it whereas if I was able to make photographs you know I knew what they meant and other people could try to interpret them but it wouldn't be so clear. Can you tell me a bit about your photography or what you're on your work in terms of art since then because obviously you've sort Mm -hmm. of moved on since that time of your life yeah so I guess even when I was doing a photography degree I didn't think I was going to be a photographer I was really doing that degree as a way just to stay alive I needed the therapeutic nature of making work and so I ended up finishing my degree and, and doing lots of different jobs in photography but not something that I found meaningful and then sort of by accident I ended up working on a project around alopecia so the hair loss condition um so with a, an alopecia charity for about four and a half years, looking at um, changes in body image, um, particularly with uh, women and traumatic changes in, in, in losing their hair. Um, and I just found working on that project really life-changing. It meant I was making work that was really meaningful um, to me and to the people that I was photographing and working with. And then I, I went back and did a master's um, in photography, looking particularly at photography and sort of the, the benefits of photography in the arts of people with mental health difficulties and that was a real turning point for me where I realised I only wanted to do that kind of work, only work that's very meaningful and around kind of um, arts and health and so all of my projects and, and everything I work on kind of has a health focus and that might be that it's um, it's a commission from a gallery around um, self-harm um, so it's already from the beginning I know that it's going on the walls somewhere or it might be a personal project around suicide and that project kind of started because of my own experiences and then I kind of work with other people to I guess broaden the dialogue around suicide so they're all quite heavy projects but they're the things that I really enjoy working on I don't enjoy working on you know soul destroying sort of commercial campaigns Mm. Um, I I tend to just feel a lot more comfortable in talking about things that have a lot of depth 
Um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't come with its own difficulties. Um, as a sometimes vulnerable and sensitive person myself, like I have to balance those things. Yeah, I might be sort of in some ways similar to my own job because I write about mental health a fair bit and I talk about it. But then I have bipolar disorder myself. So I sort of have to distances, distance it. Do you find it sort of gets a bit much these days sort of still if you're always doing projects around mental health or are you a, a, at a place in your life now where you've sort of you can manage things better. I would definitely say it's still difficult. And I think it depends It depends on the project that I'm working on and why I'm working on it and then what kind of support is available to work on that project. Um, and then just where I'm at in my day-to-day life, whether I'm having a, you know, a difficult time or not. Mm. I think everybody that knows me will agree that I'm a complete workaholic and that's because I really enjoy being productive, but that's also you know, not the best when you're working on really heavy material. I'm not very good at relaxing. I'm not very good at sort of going home and just watching a film that's not related to something to do with mental health. So mm-hmm. I'm learning that as I go, um, kind of ways to implement self-care. Yeah, it's, do you have any kind of tricks like that at all? Like for me, I've, <laughs> I'm at the moment I'm really into baths. That's my thing because it's, really, okay. it's really straightforward and it's cold. Yeah. Get in the bath job done but that's just mine uh i quite like reading listening to podcasts i'll be honest and say that i'm not averse to watching an episode of real housewives oh my god yeah because that's just trash i'm so obsessed with <laughs> you real don't have housewives. to think like, it's just <laughs> have you seen the one real housewives of oc the orange county uh, i think i might have seen every episode oh of every my god sorry franchise. <laughs> i probably shouldn't go into this because this is a mental health podcast but yeah I, yeah but brilliant. you don't have to think about following the storyline they're, they're quite sort of um no offense real housewives but quite basic mm. you know you can miss a few episodes episodes and still catch up with who's fighting with who yeah definitely. um uh, so fair. i find that quite soothing that i don't really have to pay attention to it i can sort of potter around i really love cooking Mm. and I find that very calming so the process of um, sort of chopping in each stage Mm. so sometimes I'll combine Real Housewives with some meal prep you know for the ultimate relaxation (laughs) Could you tell me a bit about what you've got coming up in terms of your own work in terms of photography but also the project the the centre Yep so I guess in my own work last summer I finished working or shooting a project around suicide with an amazing charity called Maytree that are in North London they offer support for people in suicidal crisis um, but in a non-clinical space so people can go and stay there for four nights five days and it's it's a house um, in Finsbury Park so I used to volunteer there and and then I ended up working on a project with them and that project called I Want to Live is is now going on tour so it's going to be moving to the Long Gallery at the Maudsley um, Psychiatric Hospital in March and that's that will be open from March the 15th and then I'm also running at the moment a project with Apples and Snakes so they're a creative writing charity and they run something called Spine Festival across libraries in London Um, and so I'm working in Sutton Library um, running a project for young people around mental health Um, so that'll be interesting I'm working with quite a few different um, groups of young people who have particular needs. Um, and then at the centre at the uh, Free Space Project, we've always got lots going on, lots of workshops, lots of exhibitions, and also just lots of planning. I mean, it's an exciting time for charities such as ours to be, yeah, to be really seen as valuable, that um, clinical care is not just enough, and particularly around lack of funding in, in kind of the NHS. Um, so it's an exciting time as a, as a charity for us to think about where we're heading, um, but also a challenging time because, you know, responsibility is falling onto us as a charity to do more things for patients, but we're not necessarily receiving the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of doing a lot of planning and strategizing around what the future of the organisation looks like, mm. um, but making sure that, yeah, that we're doing a lot of a lot of projects that 
I guess are not those kind of um, sort of knitting and mosaic projects, but mm. are the projects that people actually want to to take part in. One thing I really love as well that we haven't really talked about with the Free Space Project is how so you'll get people to create artwork, traditional artwork, and then you'll put on exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Has that been something that's was it sort of integral to sort of the way that it started? And also what's been the, the kind of feedback to that? Yeah, I mean, so I've been involved with the charity since I think about 2012. So I wasn't there from the beginning. Um, but in my understanding, when the building was rebuilt, it, the sort of first part of the charity was... Um, focusing on exhibitions because we had a hanging rail um, put into the, the building. There's always been exhibitions around health and now we've kind of grown and we're running lots of other projects. But I think having, you know, an exhibition space within a really beautiful building, putting on exhibitions that are not, you know, they're not challenging or upsetting, but they are challenging in some respects. You know, they're about particular experiences or particular conditions. And um, we don't want people to shy away from from looking at artwork about health because we find that actually, particularly around mental health, that if people are waiting you know, to see their GP and they sort of browse the exhibition, they use it as a stimulus to go and talk to their GP about their own mental health and that's what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. So like those workshops where we want people to reflect on sort of where they're at, we want them to do that with the exhibitions and relate to them and then think about their healthcare. It must also be a, just a huge confidence boost as well, I'd have thought, you know, to, if you're a bit sort of nervous about art in general or how good you are to then have a piece of work sort of exhibited like that mm-hmm. in terms of um, getting people in there is it like a sort of traditional gallery do you hold sort of specific previews or is it sort of just an open space that anybody can just pop in the building is always open to the public uh, monday to friday and we do host um, private views and we have artist talks so we have quite a lot of events as well that are re- like related to the exhibition um, and i think the importance of of having the exhibitions you know in a clinical space is that it becomes more of a community space so where people might feel oh I wouldn't go to that exhibition because I don't understand art and it's a gallery we've got people from all walks of life coming into the building and sometimes those are people that are patients you know actively waiting to see their GP or they're coming along to a workshop but we also have people from the general public coming along to see the exhibitions and I think that's really important um, that the the exhibitions are open to everybody Mm. because it's a very unusual space um, and it's a very unusual remit to only show work that um, relates to health, even though we interpret that quite broadly. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours, mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. Or you can go to their website, which is samaritans.org. Thanks very much to our producer, Juliet Nichols, and also to Lucy Baker for the jingles. If you're interested in joining us online, we have a lovely Facebook group, which is also called Mentally Yours. Or you can chat to us on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next time, guys.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.